forgiving others and loving your enemies? When God gives us a command in His Word, it's not a suggestion. It's an order that needs to be followed immediately. As Pastor Mark continues his teaching series through the book of 2 Samuel, he'll be reminding us that we are ambassadors for Jesus, and what we do and say is a direct reflection on Him. If we proclaim to be Christians, then we are in essence saying that we are little Christs. We are His representatives. Would you say you're properly representing the forgiving and loving nature of the Lord towards those around you? Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 2 Samuel chapter 1 for today's edition of Come Alive. You might think it's a feeling, but you choose to hang on to that stuff. You choose to hang on to it. It's not imposed on us. God doesn't say, okay, here, you're going to go ahead and hate that guy. And No, no, no. It's chosen. It's not imposed on us. And as much as Saul did against David, David chose to become better instead of bitter. David chose to be better instead of bitter, better than Saul. So we see again an example embraced. His men also follow this. These men had their own reasons to hate Saul. Think about it. If they wouldn't have been away, their families would have never been taken captive. Their stuff would have never been burned down. Yeah, they got it all back, but there's still a lot of reasons to be upset. But yet they follow the example of their leader. And David answered all Saul's hatred and venom with love. Is that Who's our leader? You know, who's our leader? Nobody better say the president. Because, I mean, though he is appointed leader over us as a nation, he's not our leader as Christians. Our leader is Jesus Christ. And we can take a great example from Jesus Christ how he, what's he say? As he's hanging on a cross in pain and agony, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Can you say that to somebody that does something wrong to you? How about the guy that cuts you off on the freeway? I'm constantly screaming at that dude. Get thee behind me, Saturn. You know, if he's in a Saturn or whatever. But I mean, think about it. Can you be like, oh man, Father, forgive him. He might be in a rush. His kid might be needing to go to the hospital. He might be allergic to some medicine that the doctor gave him. Can we forgive people? Can we love our enemies? Can we love them? When somebody does something wrong to you, I mean, really, really ask yourself. Maybe somebody has done you wrong, and it takes a lot. I can tell you I've been there. I've been there. I prayed for somebody one time. As I'm praying for them to be saved, I'm thinking about how it would be great in my mind, and this is a horrible thought, and I knew it was on my way to church, about to be 
up on a stage in front of people, not this church, but another church, on my way to be on a stage to lead worship or help lead worship, and I'm praying for these people, and in my mind, I see my dog ripping them apart, and I'm finding joy in that, but yet I'm praying for them. Lord, forgive them. Tear them apart. Let the dog get them. Wouldn't be my fault. You know, and it was. It was a choice. I had to choose every single moment of every single day to, to sit back and pray and say, Lord, just fix me. Fix me in this situation. For I want to forgive them. I chose to do it. It was just really hard to get it out of my mind. Once it was gone, it was easy. But it was something that was constant. I had to constantly do. Can you forgive? Can you love your enemy, as Jesus says? Can you go that extra mile for them? Can you be Christ? How do you know that that wouldn't win that person completely over to the Lord? I'm not asking you to pet snakes that, you, that where you're going to get bit. I'm just saying a decision needs to be made in your head. You, that doesn't mean you have to buddy up with them, put your arm around them, and hang out with them every day. That just means you make a decision to forgive them. That way you move on. You're better and not bitter. Think about how much time you spend being bitter if that's you. It's easy. I know for me sometimes I, I find great enjoyment of thinking about revenge. Sit back and be like, man, I can get that guy. I could do this. I can do that. And I'm like, man, what am I thinking about? Stop. Lord, change me. Look at verse 13. Then David said to the young man who told him, where are you from? Again, he asks questions. He inquires and he answered, I am the son of an alien and a Malachite. So David said to him, how was it you were not afraid to put forth your hand to destroy the Lord's anointed? Powerful question right there. How can you not be afraid to destroy the Lord's anointed? David asked some questions. Despite of many opportunities to legit, legitimately defend himself, David refused to reach out and destroy Saul. Remember that? There have been many opportunities David had to go and just wipe him out. Here's a couple of things if you're taking note. The messenger seems eager to make this journey to find David and tell him of the death of Saul and Jonathan. The Amalekite, Ahimez in 2 Samuel 18, 19-23, he seems to want to bring David the news because he expects David to be pleased with what he hears. Also, if you get a chance, you know, we read verse 10 of chapter 4, but verses 9-10. through 10. And so he doesn't understand the depth of sorrow and sadness that this news is going to bring to David. Also, another thing, it appears that he expects to be rewarded, like we said earlier. The messenger seems to assume that Saul and Jonathan are David's enemies, obstacles to his ascent to the throne. And when he sees David tear his clothes, all of a sudden he's like, oh, what's going on? And it wasn't the Amalekite raiders who sacked Ziklag and kidnapped the families of David and his men only three days earlier. I mean, battle's battle. And so here, here it is, after pursuing the Amalekites and slaughtering them, this guy shows up. The messenger knows David's designated to be or expected to be Israel's next king. So he brings the crown and bracelet he took from Saul's body and gives them to David as king. And the man almost proudly admits as having killed Saul, the Lord's anointed. It's almost as if when you read this, that he was proud to kill Saul. So David knew that since God had put Saul on the throne, that it was God's job to end his reign. And woe to the one who puts forth his hand to destroy a God-appointed leader. And you have to think about that. Uh, who has God put in charge? And we might be trying to destroy them, maybe with words. For us, it's different. In the Old Testament here, it was a physical act of murder. It was murder. But for us, for you and I, Jesus gave us a little bit something different. If you hate your brother, if you thought you murdered him in your heart, it's pretty tough. Be careful who you hate. 
Be careful who you gripe and you complain and you say you hate when God allows this leader to be in charge. And you don't have to like everything, but just be careful. Look at verse 15. And then David called one of the young men and said, go near and execute him. And he struck him so that he died. David's like, you don't, you don't do this. You don't touch God's anointed. And so David has this guy killed. David's saying that he is not guilty of this man's death and having him killed. You, you might think, well, wait a minute. Yeah, he is. He just gave the command. Isn't this a little contradictory? No, it's not at all. Because that man himself confessed to having done a deed worthy of death. He says he killed him. The guilt for the man's death rests on himself. No matter how you put it, he did it. Regardless of how it happened, what was begged, it doesn't matter. He did it. The end result is the fact is still the same that this man killed the Lord's anointed. So David says, put him to death. Look at verse 17. And then David lamented with his lamentation over Saul and over Jonathan, his son. And he told them to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. Indeed, it's written in the book of Jasher. Now, this book of Jasher is, is, is a, a poetry book that is not in the Bible, hasn't been found. And you read about it another time in the book of Joshua. And so, you know, it's not canonized and just because it's not one of the, you know, you, you turn on your TV and you might find on a Discovery Channel or National Geographic, the lost books of the Bible, you know. And, and you know, we, we got what God wants us to have. Uh, just know that. We got what, well, it'd be cool to read that book, go see the Dead Sea Scrolls, you know, before people were like, oh, the scriptures aren't true. And all of a sudden some kid, some shepherd finds, throws a rock, hears something break goes and opens it up. And almost word for word, what our Bible has is the book of Daniel on these scrolls that are written thousands of years before. So, you know, it's hard to know what to say when when you see this. And so it says, he told him to teach the children of Judah the song of the bow. And so this is kind of like a a David talking about Saul's eulogy. And And it is, it's hard to say to know what to say at a funeral. It's hard to, hard to know what to say. I've done a couple of funerals, and it's tough. I've had people call me, and I've denied doing the funeral. You might think, well, you're kind of a cruel guy. I'm like, well, number one, I don't know you. I don't know this guy. Well, here's what he was. I'm like, is there any proof that this person was a good? Because they'll tell you what they want you to say. Tell tell our family he's in a better place. I don't know if I can say that. Was the guy saved? No, he wasn't saved. I can't say that. Even at my dad's own funeral. My own dad. Somebody said, well, don't you, aren't you glad he's in a better place? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I could say that. Nobody knows what a man does in his last hour. But I don't know. I have no clue. My brother struggled. He goes, what do you mean you, you don't know? And I was like, well, have you ever known him to go to church? No. Have you ever known him to read his Bible? No. Have you ever known him to do anything other than party harder than anyone you ever met? No. I love my dad. But to answer that question is a definite, I don't know. I don't know what he did in his last hour. He might have repented, said, Lord, save me. He might have been able to pull that one off. He's pulled off some amazing stuff. And it's like when you get to heaven, there's going to be the three wonders. I'm going to wonder who's there, who's not, and why I am. Right? And if I see him, I'll be like, whoa, you did, man. You pulled it off, Dad. Amazing. But nobody knows that. So I've heard a lot of lies told at funerals. 
And, and a lot of them are by, by preachers. I've heard lies told about God. Well, this wasn't God's fault. This wasn't God's fault. He had no knowledge or control over what had happened. Put on the brakes there. I don't know who your God is, but my God's got a lot of knowledge and a lot of control. You hear stuff like that. And lies are told about the one who died. Usually these lies about the departed tend to exaggerate the good and deny the bad. I remember hearing a story that my pastor told one time of a, a pastor who was very honest at a funeral of a man who was just a rotten dude. And so in the middle of the funeral service, the preacher looked straight at the widow of the man who had died and said something like, Millie, you know, Ralph was a worthless man. Now, when you marry again, let's pick a better man than this. Now, you got, that's honesty. I mean, if you can't find honesty in the church and from a pastor, man, we're in trouble. Now, there could have been some more tact about that. He might have been able to pull her off to the side and say it, but out loud in front of all. But, I mean, I guess everybody knew this was a rotten dude. And as a kid going to funerals and, and hanging out at funerals, you hear some weird stuff. You're just like, really? Where do you get that? I just want to go up there and go, can you show me where it says that in the Bible? That everybody that dies will go to heaven? So you're telling me Charles Manson and Hitler are hanging out in heaven? Oh, well, no, except for them. Why is there an exception for them? Well, they were really bad. Sin is sin. See, David's sorrow was sincere and it was deeply felt. And so he crafts this song here, the depth of his feeling. And um, again, the book of Jasher mentioned in Joshua, you see it. And that's where, you know, it says it talks about this. But here's a song. And so apparently the song becomes known as the song of the bow. Saul was a big guy, almost invincible in hand-to-hand combat. We know that. But Saul was brought down by an arrow from a bow. Verse 19 says, The beauty of Israel is slain on your high places. How the mighty have fallen. And so here this could be the title of the song. The phrase will be repeated about three times in verse, here in verse 19, 25, and verse 27. David doesn't say it, but we understand that Saul fell long before he actually gets shot with an arrow. Long before this, he fell when he had hardened his heart against God. Saul fell when he had hardened his heart against God and against the word of God through the prophet and against the man after God's own heart. So Saul's death on Gilboa was a sad conclusion to a prior fall. Look at verse 20. It says, tell it on, tell it not in Gath, proclaim it not in the streets of Ashkelon, lest the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, lest the daughters of the uncircumcised triumph. So here, Though it would be told in Gath, the Philistines had taken Saul's head and armor and were taking them on tours of the Philistine cities. Remember we talked about Saul being pinned up to a wall so the Philistines could see that he and Jonathan and, and his, his bro, Jonathan's brother, Saul's other sons, were pinned up there. And remember we said this is a very common thing to do when you're an enemy uh, to, to those people in that country. And still today we see this happening. Verse 21. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew, nor rain upon you, nor fields of offerings. For the shield of the mighty is cast away there, the shield of Saul, not anointed with oil. And so here in verse 20, though it would be told in Gath, the Philistines again had taken his armor and and taken him on a tour of the cities. And then when the Jews began to return to the land of Israel in verse 21, we see that they began a great, when, when they came back from, I think it was in what, 1948. In 1948, when they come back into the land, they began a great reforestation projects all over Israel. 
Uh, the land was pretty dry. Hundreds of millions of trees were planted all over the country, but they had left an area on Mount Gilboa without trees. They'd left this area uh, without trees. Let it be barren is what it says. And it, it's really because of this song uh, that it's barren, that they didn't plant trees up there. Uh, they won't plant the trees on this northernmost portion of Mount Gilboa. And so David's curse actually becomes prophetic. Look at verse uh, 22. And so from the blood of the slain, from the fat of the mighty, the bow of Jonathan did not turn back. Talking about how he stood side by side with his dad. And the sword of Saul did not return empty. Saul and Jonathan were beloved and pleasant in their lives. And in their death, they were not divided. They were swifter than eagles. They were stronger than lions. Some, some people have suggested that this isn't talking about Saul and his anointing, but it's talking about the actual shield of Saul. And so there was an, uh, apparently a common practice in those days that you would, when you went into battle, you would put oil all over your shield to help deflect the arrows um, and to let them glance off of them. Verse 24. O daughter of Israel, weep over Saul, who clothed you in scarlet with luxury, who put ornaments of gold on your apparel. So we see that David's heart for Saul here. We've seen several times how David had learned not to take his own revenge against Saul. David not only didn't try to kill Saul and take revenge, but what happens here, he seems to have truly loved and honored Saul, yet here we see a little different slant on things on David's heart, because it's not a revengeful heart. Oh, we see that it's different than what most people would have done. He wasn't the guy who was keeping himself back from revenge solely because that was the right thing to do. He kept himself from revenge, secretly looking forward and thinking that one day I'm going to be king. That's not why he kept himself from revenge. And he, he knew that God was going to be in control of the situation. You know, he wasn't looking forward for Saul to be wiped out. David isn't rejoicing over Saul's death. He seems here, when you read this, that he regrets it. He regrets it. And if you look at how he characterizes Saul in verse 12, it talks about David mourning and weeping over Saul and Jonathan. Not just Jonathan, because if you remember, Jonathan was like his best friend. Verse 14, David still considered Saul the Lord's anointed. So he has great respect. In verse 19, Saul's called the beauty of Israel. Again in 19, he's called the mighty. Verse 21, David curses Gilboa because it was the place of Saul's death. And David sees Saul in verse 22 as a mighty warrior. And in verse 24, David reminds us of how good Saul had been to him. And if you think about this, Jesus said in Matthew 5, 44 through 48, but I say to you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you, that you may be the children of your father which is in heaven, for he makes his son to rise on the evil and on the good, and he sends rain on the just and the unjust. For if we love them, which, for if you love them which love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the the publicans do the same? And if you salute your brothers only, what do you more more than others? And do you even the publicans so? So be uh, for you to be careful, therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus is telling us something. He gives us a command here. He says, you know, these, these guys that do these things, you know, love your enemies. And that's what David does. We see that this goes, and it's a great example for you and I to love our enemies. Look at verse 26. It says, I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. Here he's talking about Jonathan. And this is a verse a lot of people take and try to 
pervert. It says, you've been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was wonderful, surpassing the love of women. Now, again, there are people who'd like to take this and make this into something perverted, but that's not what David's talking about. If you remember that David, David's own experience of love with women was according to God's will, right? God's will, one man, one woman. But he had multiple marriages, and it kept him from God's ideal, one man and one woman in a flesh relationship. So there's not the slightest hint that David and Jonathan expressed their love in a sexual way. He's just saying here that I had a deep godly love for Jonathan. And Jonathan had a deep godly love for him. I, I don't know as a guy, and I remember I have a best friend, and, and, and I still have him. I mean, we, we've been best friends for a long time. But when we were hanging out all the time, there was that love that I had for him that I'd rather hang out with him than my girlfriend. And it wasn't because there was something weird going on. It was just we enjoyed each other that much more. And it wasn't because I was five or anything like that. I was actually a teenager. And we'd hung out. And we'd lost touch when we when I, we turned 18. He went to the Army, and I went my own ways. And uh, a couple years ago, he I, I call him. I don't know how we found each other. Oh, I remember. But anyway, he came to church one day. It was the first time I'd seen him in a long time. He showed up. His wife's from Katy, of all places. And so he's like, man, no way. He's like, for years, I've been coming to Katie for Thanksgiving and Christmas. And so we, we reconnected. Now to say that that same love relationship is not there, but when we hang out together, we talk about, I'll remember this and remember. I mean, I used to almost live at his house and he at my house. And we got in a lot of trouble together, like best friends should. But again, you know, here, Jonathan and David, they loved each other. They had a close, close relationship. See, our present world has a hard time believing that love can be deep and real without having it be in a sexual aspect. I think that's, that's a problem with where, what has happened when we step away from God's word and we start to remove it from our daily lives and, and public places. And so all this is a powerful testimony of how David kept his heart free from bitterness when we look at this. Verse 27, how the mighty have fallen and the weapons of war perished. And so, again, David fulfilled 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love thinks no evil, right? Love thinks no evil. And, and the Bible tells us that we cannot, we need to love each other. We need to love people because you can't say you love God and not love somebody else. You can't, you can't say you love God and not love others. That's what we read in 1 John 4. And so, here, again... David knew the principle of 1 Peter 4, 8. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Love. Love. David could not do this because of his trust in himself or any other thing. He, the only way he could do this is because he trusted in God and God's power. He knew that God was in charge of his life and that even Saul meant it for evil. God could use it for good. Remember, all things work together for good to those who love God who are called according to his purpose. Are you called according to his purpose? We're so glad you tuned in today to Pastor Mark's teaching here on Come Alive. Pastor Mark has been walking us through the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter, unlocking the blessings, truth, and love found within its verses. We know that reading God's Word can be difficult to squeeze into your schedule sometimes, so having something to listen to instead can help. With that in mind, we'd like to let you know about our Come Alive podcast. We've made Pastor Mark's messages available to you for free so that you can take them with you on the go, making hearing the Word so much more convenient. 
Search for Come Alive on iTunes or on Google Play and subscribe to have a notification sent to you as soon as we post new editions. Thanks again for tuning in today to Come Alive. If you'd like to learn more about this ministry and the church behind it, please visit us online at comealiveradio.com. If you're living in or near Katy, Texas, we'd also like to invite you to come see us in person at Calvary Chapel Katy. We're a laid-back group of Jesus followers, and we love inviting new people to come join us in seeking the Father and praising His name. Find service times and directions to our church when you visit our website, comealiveradio.com. That's all we have time for today. We pray you continue to find Jesus through His Word and in everything you do. Join us next time for another in-depth look at the Bible, right here on Come Alive.